Welcome to Indie Game Business, where you'll learn to navigate the industry with ease. This show is produced by the Powell Group, the leading business consulting firm in the gaming industry. Visit us online at IndieGame.Business to learn about our online digital events. We have some amazing sessions with people in the gaming industry, and you can participate for free and purchase inexpensive passes to our industry-leading business-to-business system. Now, here we go, Indie Game Business. Here we are. Here we are. Welcome, everybody. Uh, we've got Pontus Mahler. Unfortunately, he couldn't make it right now, but we do have a pre-recorded video, and I believe he is going to be in the chat to answer questions. So uh, let's let's fire this up and get started with Pontus Mahler, company growth and investment strategy. Hello everyone and greetings from Malaysia. I am calling here from my hotel room, so if there are any issues with the microphone or something like that, then I sincerely apologize, but it's uh, you know tough to doing speaker sessions and traveling the world, so I will try to do my best. Um, today we're here to talk a little bit about company growth and investment strategy. We're gonna talk about a couple of different topics and we're gonna finish out with the kind of state of the market currently. Uh, but before we get started, I think it's important that I briefly introduce ourselves and what we do so that you have a little bit more context if you're unfamiliar with Global Top Run. So we are basically an accelerator slash investment company that is a, based in Korea. We have uh, people from all over the world, but our holding company is in Jeju in Korea. We also have an office in Seoul and an office in Bangkok. We've invested in over 64 studios to date. Uh, from 32 countries, if I'm not mistaken. And overall, we've been trying to invest in between five and 10 studios for the last eight years. Now, some of you may have heard or seen something called the GTR Conference. That's something that happens once a year, which is usually kind of sort of like a Shark Tank type of event where we have picked most of our investments. We now also have our sister company, G-Round, which is a community-based uh, platform where you can get private playtests, public playtests, influencer mock reviews and stuff like that, but we're not here to talk about that today, of course. The core team of Global Top Round consists of, well, a very small team, really. We have uh, Cherie, who helps us out with government partnerships around the world, events, setting up pitch events and stuff like that, and just generally helping us kind of navigate the whole industry when and where we kind of fly. Myself, I used to be an ex-professional gamer. I did uh, esports for about eight years full-time and used to be a, I guess you could call it a hobby game designer, designed a couple of heroes, had a lot of fun back then. And then I transitioned into the more investment side of the industry a couple of years ago. And nowadays I'm leading or spearheading the Global Top Round team. And also, of course, helping out our sister companies here and there. But basically, started as a professional gamer and then I've kind of moved more into consulting and helping startups grow. Something I always love to do, 
since I was very young. Uh, our producer's name is Max Kubler. Uh, he helped produce Lords of the Fallen and The Search, among other titles. Jan here is our head of publishers. Shongbin is our new game scout. And if you're watching this and you would like to pitch Global Talk Round for a partnership, he's the guy to reach out to as he is our so-called first filter. And then we have Mr. Jack Benchitret, who helps out, helps out both internal and external portfolio companies or non-portfolio non companies fundraise and get acquired. Uh, also helping out with publishing deals, of course, but he focuses more on deals over 5 million USD. I mentioned the conference. Uh, we've had it now eight years in a row, Sweden last year. We're very, very soon going to be announcing the 2023 edition. Now, for those of you who are familiar with us before, usually you could apply like once a year within the course of like three months and then send in your pitch deck, you would get evaluated. And then the so-called top 20 would then ultimately be selected. And that's where we would host our kind of Shark Tank thing. But if we back up a little bit, our first gate nowadays is that we have these four different main funnels. The first thing is, of course, the online application. Now, I briefly mentioned that in the past, you had this like little period where you could apply and send in your game. Well, nowadays you have scouting at globaltopround.com that goes to every single manager in the entire company. We go to events, so right now I'm in Malaysia for Level Up KL. We have referrals from publishers and investors where they think the studios are a bit too early. They want us to come on board, coach, and kind of help them grow. The top 20 thing is still happening, uh, but there is no like guarantee of our investment. Uh, so of course, we'll try to find the 20 best or the 25 best studios around the globe. And at the end of the year, we'll do an event, which is kind of like an open pitch event. We're very excited to do it this year again, and we're gonna, as I said, announce it soon. If you get selected into the, well, top 10, so to speak, you go into due diligence, and a couple of you may or may not receive investments from us. Once we get involved, we have a very intense beginning period, around six months or so, where we help you out with scoping out the company, potential fundraisers, when do we pitch publishers, what is our strategy gonna be, just basically help you build up the company from the ground up, which includes contracts, you know, setting up founder agreements and so forth, really just helping you be there as your kind of co-CEO or co-partner. That's really what we're all about. Now, once you get past our own internal green light, so to speak, and we've already invested and we're partners, when we feel you're ready, we'll then take you out and actually pitch you to publishers and investors and help you find follow-on money. We've raised over $32 million, not including our own money in the last three years. And we're gonna be closing a couple more deals soon and hopefully that number will keep going up. So, you know, once the acceleration program starts, we invite you to our Discord where we have our entire portfolio. So you can talk to our other studios. You can, uh, you know, share tips, advice, platforms. You can complain about stuff. You can plan events. It's really just like a small little community. Every now and then we do a portfolio get together. So here in Malaysia now, I'm meeting up with all of our Malaysian studios. But sometimes we try to bring a lot of you from around the globe into one particular event. But our program is completely digital. Approximately between 60 to 80% of all of our studios actually raise follow-on money or get a publisher or an investor in some way or form. So we're very excited about that number and hopefully we can keep growing that in the future. We have a very, very tight-knit close relationship with publishers and investors, which allows us to kind of put all of our studios and all of our partners first in line whenever we speak to somebody. Here's our kind of investment strategy. We used to invest 40K first and 60K later. That's something you may have seen or heard or you'll see on our website. Nowadays, it's between 40K and 400K. So it's really up in the air. Also in the past, we used to invest only once a year around Q3 and Q4. Nowadays, it's actually 365 days a year. 
Now, with that said, we're currently on a pause and we're not investing right now, but we will be doing so in the future again, hopefully sooner rather than later. And then, of course, once we've helped you kind of get to that vertical slice stage, helped you find more money, you have a potential pre-Series A, Series A, or an exit that we also assist you with. And here are some of our portfolio companies you can take a look at. If you're ever considering working with us, you can basically just screenshot this page, go on Google, find our email, reach out. I'm pretty sure not every one of our portfolio companies loves us more than anything, but you'll get you know some good insight and you can ask them straight questions. You know, we try to do our best to help all of our studios combined. That's enough self-promotion for now. This topic today is not about promoting GTR. It's about helping you guys kind of figure out what you need to do. Uh, but still, of course, for a little bit of context, I wanted to give you a very brief introduction of our company and what we do. But let's dig into today's topic, like company growth and investment strategy, and kind of like starting from the ground up. Now, here are a couple of bullet points that I really like to kind of dig into. When you're first starting your game business, it's very hard to know where to start, when to start. You might have a full-time job, you might not have enough money. So what do you actually do? Well, for me, personally, and I want to be clear to say that this is my subjective opinion and not my company's opinion. It may or may not be the same, but this presentation is entirely made from my perspective. Making a founder team. You know, being a single founder is, of course, something that is not uh, illegal. You know, you are, of course, allowed to start your own company. But generally, any investor or publisher, and even you yourself, will benefit from having a founding team. Doing market research before prototyping, during prototyping, and before launch is something that a lot of people forget. Building a prototype and starting a community as early as possible, approaching these people, and of course, potentially working with somebody like ourselves, a video game accelerator. So why do you actually need a co-founder? Why do you want to build a founding team? Well, there are many reasons, but I would say, honestly, whatever my slide says here, one of the biggest issues in the industry today is, you know, mental health. You know, we are all working remotely. We don't have that whole in-office culture anymore, and you don't always have somebody to lean on. And it's also very easy to make a startup. You know, it's easy to start a company. And you sometimes forget that, you know, we are humans after all, and we do need support. We do need motivation. And that's something that a founder can bring to the team or an advisor or, you know, a friend of yours. But honestly, I would say that's probably the most important thing, having like a ball plank, you know, not just having your own ideas and your, your own structure. You have somebody to always bounce ideas off and like building something amazing together. And some of you watching may be like, well, okay, but I, you know, I've spent three years of my time. I've invested a bunch of money. Well, a co-founder doesn't mean you have to give up half of your equity. Absolutely not. You know, a co-founder could have 5%, 3%, 2%, of course, usually more. But it's really just at what stage, who's putting in the most amount of time, who's putting in the most amount of money. Um, there's a good template out there from uh, a guy named Joachim Akron, EliteGameDevelopers.com. He has this cap table model you can play around with, GTR. We have ours, and there's multiple more on the market where you can kind of test out the model and see what's fair. And there are also multiple speaker sessions out there where you can kind of calculate, okay, well, how do I decide on what percentage to give my team? But, you know, of course, the two main things before you raise money is who is putting in the capital and who's putting in the time, because time is money. But either way, so emotional support and motivation, I skipped to my last point right away, is honestly very important. You know, having somebody to rely on and to lean on. If I didn't have my team in, in, in Global Top Round, I would honestly not be sitting here today. You know, they're 
they're an amazing team that has been supporting myself and the company for a very long time. And you know, without them, Global Top Run wouldn't run. So for me, it's very important to have uh, people that I can trust and rely on. Um, but back to point number one, complementary skill sets. You know, one of the greatest things is I have things I'm good at. I have things that I'm bad at. And you know, having people and team members, again, that I can rely on is super important. And especially when you're an investor and you're kind of reviewing a company, having the top management, having different skill sets and like complementary skill sets to each other is very, very important. And it will also be very beneficial to you. So let's say that you're, you're an artist and you know, you're not able to kind of program or anything like that. Having a co-founder that can do that is incredibly helpful. I would say the one skill set that can be outsourced at the beginning of a building a business is business development. There are tons of advisors, agencies, and everything out there that can kind of help you get kickstarted. Ultimately, of course, as an investor, I want the founders to have a business mindset and understand how things work, but it's teachable. You know, starting your own company versus working for a company is a whole different story. You know, it's not the same at all. I've, I've founded my own companies before I started working for other people, I guess. And it's not always, you know, the best day of your life. Um, so yeah. Complementary skill sets, very important. Sharing responsibilities and workload. Um, I mentioned that I'm good at things and bad at things. One thing I'm bad at is delegating. Um, you know, I try, uh, but usually I just like to do things myself. You know, I, I, I know how fast I can be. I know my limitations and, you know, I can just, yeah, I know what I can do. But if you don't have somebody to share that workload on, then, you know, it's going to be impossible. You know, so you really need somebody that can help you kind of run the company. So as an example, like, you know, running that business part, you can temporarily outsource that to an agent while you and your partner or partners are actually building, you know, the game and the business to the point where you can actually uh, raise money. So having that very, very important. Risk mitigation is a key one. Uh, we've invested in single founders before. We try not to anymore. And that's really just because sometimes even myself, you know, I can have an opinion that I believe it's the best opinion ever. And if I don't have somebody on like equal level to myself to kind of level my opinion out, it's not going to work, you know, and also having somebody from a different culture, a different experience is super helpful. Uh, a great example is Jan Halve, who is our head of publisher relations. There are many times where we don't agree with each other at all. You know, it's just simply the way of business. And that's honestly really helpful. Because we, we were raised differently and because we you know, have different experience and backgrounds, having those two contradicting opinions and, and sometimes, of course, on the same page allows us to make better decisions as a company. Uh, and of course, now that I've lived here in Asia for, well, eight years, you know, me having that Asian perspective and understanding how the market uh, over here works allows me to bring that and you know, teach our Western employees how things work. So all of this you know, helps lower the risk for our business and theoretically your business if you have a founder who can help you with this. And diverse perspectives, I mentioned, you know, Asian culture. Um, we're going to talk about this on the next slide, but one of the misconceptions is that you always have to target, you know, the entire world, you know, uh, when you're when you're pitching the game, you want to reach every single person in the world, but you don't have to, you know. Only hitting one country or a small amount of countries is enough to be a successful business. So having somebody with different perspectives and ideas is great. Of course, the whole culture in different countries is just an example. You can start a business with two Swedish people, for example, not a problem, but good to have different perspectives. 
And investors like to back multiple founders because the thing is, if everything relies on one person, what happens if, God forbid, something happens to that person? Like, what's going to be happening? And you know, who are they going to have as a ball plank when I'm not around or some, some of our other team members are not around? So it's important to an investor. So in regards to the market, as I mentioned, uh, as the next thing, this is a slide that I haven't changed in, in, in five years, honestly. I think it's a really good uh, case study and I probably should change it, but uh, I haven't done so. <laughs> so you only need to hit one market. Uh, that is the funny reality, right? Like a lot of you guys are trying to raise 200K, 400K, 800K. I read, I read a paper recently that the average indie pitch is about 400,000 USD. Now, if 400,000 USD is your budget, you don't need to hit every person in the world to make your money back. Of course, the more people you hit, the better. But every country plays different types of games. You know, like a Swedish person doesn't play the same as a Filipino or a Malaysian or whatever. It's very, very different cultures and different hardware. You know, not everybody can afford the best gaming computers of all time. And that's why, you know, games like, for example, Apex Legends isn't super popular in Southeast Asia. It takes quite a toll on your computer. So start thinking in a more narrow market. You know, stop looking at this news slide of $280 billion of gaming a year and be like, okay, who am I actually making this game for? You know, what is the genre? What is the target group? And when you're researching your comparisons and your benchmarks, you can actually find out what countries these people are from. Um, what? Yeah, anyway, you, you understand my point. So um, the example I'm presenting here is Arena of Valor. So like I said, it's an old slide, so the numbers are outdated, but this, this game has now grossed multiple billions of, of dollars. And they wanted to go into Europe. So, you know, they took all the success from China, from Southeast Asia, because it was the biggest game in Southeast Asia, might actually still be today, I'm not sure. Maybe Wild Rift has taken over. I, I'm not that into mobile gaming anymore. But they came to Europe, you know, they spent a lot of money trying to launch the game there, and they came to the US and, you know, it has now failed and it's not really a market in the US and in the West. Because they, you know, expected us to play the same types of games. And that is, of course, not the reality. In the West, we prefer PC console games primarily. And, you know, like I said, not always important to target the global market. So if we're going to take another example, Thailand, where I live, is only an $80 million market a year. So it's quite small, right? But what if you catch 10% of that? That's 8 million USD on a theoretical 400k USD budget. You don't need to sell in any other country, right? So the more you can kind of narrow down your market and research your targets, then, you know, the better we will believe in you as a publisher or an investor. Of course, public data is one thing, testing it in action is another thing, but my point here is that you don't need to make a game for everyone. You can make a game for a specific market or a specific country and still be successful. So let's assume you've done that. Okay, how are you gonna reach out to gamers? You know, these are just, you know, five examples, but personally, I love Discord. I think you should be starting with this as early as possible. You should be tweeting on screenshot Saturdays. You should be typing in the indie game developer groups on Facebook. You should be active on the indie game scene on Reddit. You know, it's very important that as early as possible, you take your game out there and you actually show it to people. And key thing here, stop asking us to sign NDAs. We're not going to, period. You have to understand that we get like 2,000 pitches a year and that's just us as Global Top Round. 
and we're smaller than a lot of other companies. So if you then imagine, you know, Team 17 and, you know, uh, Bracer Group and all these different uh, companies, they're probably getting more than us. We cannot sign NDAs all the time. It's sadly not how it works. So please don't ask us to sign an NDA right away. Of course, once we start asking about your deep financial information and we want access to all your statements, it's a whole different story. But asking us for an NDA when you have a game build is useless. I'm sorry. You probably don't have a concept that is going to blow the world and make $10 billion. It's, it's extremely unlikely you're going to be the next Stardew Valley. I hope you will be. And of course, you should try to be. But pretending that your demo that you spent three, six, nine months on, and I'm going to look at it and sell it to one of my studios is just being narrow-minded. Rather, go out there and present to people what you're doing so that you know, it will catch our eyes. You'd be surprised how many publishers and investors actually look at all these hashtags. And all of our partners are on Twitter, they're on Reddit, they're on Facebook, they're on Discord, looking and scouting for games. And you know, all it takes is that one publisher who sees your screenshot reaches out and you could have a deal on your hands. So please don't start off by signing NDAs. Try to build a community quite early, approach them on your favorite platform, start communicating with them as early as possible. I would say, even like back when you have concept art and you're still testing your idea, you can start posting. Completely up to you, once again subjective, but I personally think you should be starting practically on day one. And then of course we have Jiran, our sister platform. Now if you want to work with uh, video game accelerators, I want to be very clear here that uh, regardless of our experience and our success and, uh, and stuff like that, you should always check you know, your sources. You should always reach out to the portfolio companies that have worked with the publisher or worked with the investor, including myself. So if, you're, if you like today's talk and you think that we kind of know what we're doing and you're looking to potentially work with us, please go to our website, look at the portfolio, reach out to our developers, two, three, four, five, however, you, however many you want to, and ask for a referral. Because a lot of accelerators you know, take a lot of equity or they take rev share or they do other types of things like this. And if you're gonna give out a big portion of your company or your revenue, that's going to hurt you in the long run. So make sure it's worth it. Check with people if you know we are valid, if we're good at what we do, if we have a good reputation, it's key. But if, <laughs> if this checks out, what are some of the benefits of an accelerator, right? Access to funding, of course, like ourselves, we do invest in companies, so we do buy equity. We try to target between <clears throat> five and 15% over time. We, of course, help you with networking opportunities. So right now, today, I actually was the MC of a pitch organized by MDEC, where we were presenting 20 developers all over the place. And of course, I had our own studio submit. I wasn't the one who picked them, but two of them were selected to present on stage. And of course, that allows them to facilitate and meet with investors and publishers. Even if they hadn't been selected um, by the jury, you know, I still would have helped them connect here over at Level Up and at many other places and opportunities. And we're, of course, always trying to improve. We're a very small team, but we also want to start getting better relationships with marketing agencies, influencer agencies, etc. So we can, of course, provide this to the studios when they ask for it. And of course, access, access and exposure. So we can take you to markets you haven't been before. Of course, myself being based in Asia for so long, I have a lot of connections in Korea, China and so forth. And you know, that's a great way to get access to new markets. So you can also get new potentials, new opportunities. 
one thing people forget about a lot is uh, actually not part of today's uh, <laughs> presentation, but I'll say it anyway, is if you're not planning to go on mobile, um, but you know, it could be ported to mobile, 20%, 30% revenue is better than zero, right? There are a lot of porting studios based in Asia that can do it for a very cheap amount or even publish it for you after you know porting it for you. That's a great way to get additional revenue. So you know, being able to work with accelerators who have this kind of knowledge will allow you to maximize your revenue. And of course, resources. Now, us ourselves are purely digital, um, so we do not have any office space, but a lot of other accelerators do. And I do personally think as a new startup, it's really cool to kind of hang out with other developers of the same size in the same kind of era and learning from each other. So if I was an indie developer just getting started, I would probably honestly love being in an office uh, with a bunch of other developers. So that's kind of cool. Uh, we're trying to replicate that, of course, with our Discord channel, where we feel like they can always talk to each other. And credibility. So what the branding that we have built today is um, if GTR sends you a game, you need to read the pitch, right? And that's the branding we want to keep and the credibility we want to keep. That's why we can't just, you know, once you join uh, our accelerator, we can't just send you out right away. You know, you got to get past our own green light so that we have that particular level of quality that is the minimum that we require for us to be happy and our partners to be happy. Because if, <clears throat> if I start sending bad games to our publishers or unready games, so to speak, um, then it's not gonna, they're not gonna you know use us as the uh, sorry put us in the front of the queue when they review our games. So credibility from an accelerator is also great. So if we look at a timeline, here is again my ideal uh, you know scenario of how to get started in the business. You research markets right away. I know that a lot of you that will be watching this have probably not done so. Most people start prototyping first, making something that probably they themselves want to play or want to make. At the end of the day, guys, if you're asking for an investor's money, if you want to create a business, that's not how you can think about your company. You know, you need to consider how am I going to sustain myself? How am I going to build myself into a profitable company, not just make what you want to make? So with that said, starting research very early, are there any particular genres, USPs, mechanics? Like, is there anything that, you know, kind of fits your bill, something that you want to make that hasn't been done yet or something you can do better. You know, that would be great to know all the way before prototyping so you can start iterating within that small area. Because of course, as you know, right now, everybody is making an extraction shooter. So imagine starting an extraction shooter today, right? You're going to have 30 other games launched before you. So imagine you start prototyping and then, you know, once you reach the pre-production or even the alpha, you're like, oh, there's 30 other games doing the same thing as me. But if you're already in concept, pre-production, or you have an MVP or a demo, start researching now. You know, Start looking even more deeply into your comparables, into the target markets, and work on that. Anyway, then you start prototyping. You, start, uh, you get something out there, something small, anything to show. Like I said, <clears throat> up to you if you want to show art or not, or concepts, but... Even before you know you have a vertical slice or a demo that's ready to pitch to publishers, I would start social media. I would go out there. I would show my game in every screenshot Saturday on every platform I could. I would join, uh, you know, Liam's event on Twitter, pitch a game. Why not? What do you have to lose, right? The the best thing as an investor or a publisher is seeing something grow from a small seed to something better, better, better until it's eventually ready for one of us, 
right? So if I saw your screenshot on Screenshot Saturday one year ago, and then you finally send me an email at scoutingatglobaltopround.com, we all have databases where we can go back and see, wow, look at what they showed us a year ago and look now. What an amazing feat. Like, look at how much they've improved, you know? Like, it's like day and night, you know, crazy improved. And then boom, you've already gained some credibility. So having your name out there is very important. And also, maybe you're making a concept that, you know, once you start testing it out and when you're building a community, nobody really wants, then you can save a lot of time and money from developing that game and doing something else instead. So this is my, again, opinion. I, I know I'm repeating that, but I personally think this is what you should be doing. Start as early as possible and yeah, do it as best as you can. Then of course you have your late demo or your vertical slice and pitching it and then comes alpha, beta, launch, etc. But before that, that's when it's important to really get your name out there. So, okay, let's assume you're somewhere around, you know, the pre-production vertical slice stage. How do you start raising money? Now, I was very bad and I realized that uh, I forgot to design this slide in my new format. So this is an old one. I apologize for that. <laughs> but let's talk about the first three things that you can do. Of course, grants. Grants is an amazing thing, you know allows you to build a demo, allows you to get you know, your feet off the ground, and it's something you definitely want to pay attention to. Uh, not every country in the world allows this, uh, so it's, you know, not, not everybody can do it. But if you have it, start researching now, try to find this money and use it to make a better demo. And of course, here is a very, again, important opinion in, uh, for myself. I would much rather have you pitch me um, Sorry, I would much rather have you pitch me something later than earlier, which is weird, right? If you don't have any money, like how are you gonna get to that later stage? Now, why I say this is because the earlier you are in your process, the worse terms you are gonna get. It doesn't matter if it's a publisher, investor, or a project finance company or agency, the more risk we have to take, the more aggressive we have to be in our terms. So by using government agencies and grants or even your savings and part-time time, you can get to a later stage where you can negotiate a better deal for yourself. This is super, super important. So why I have this entire slide here and you can read it on the topics, grants, friends, angels, is because this is the earliest money you can get to get you to that next level without selling your soul. The reality is that even our own terms, and this is something that we're gonna be updating our website on. So in the past, we used to do a minimum valuation of 800,000 USD because our, you know, our, our mindset was that we wanted to give you guys money very early and you know, we wanted to help you grow and we didn't want to butcher your valuation or take 20% in our first investment. got to check out our discord at discord.gg slash indie game business it's an amazing community of over 3500 other industry experts we've got developers publishers marketing and pr firms investors so so many so many it's safe and supportive place to network and to talk to experts you can learn more about the business of games or you can share what you know with others we have exclusive workshops on perfecting your pitch deck 
finding a publisher, and more. Remember, it's discord.gg slash indie game business. Well, the reality is that we've learned that there is way too much risk even for us. So nowadays we don't have a minimum valuation anymore. We still try to target the five to 15%. So we're not gonna you know, buy a huge chunk and we always start small and then we could potentially do a second investment. But point being, you know, we do need to take more because it's just way too risky for us to take less. So if you have grants or savings, please do that. Get a demo first. Paper pitching, if you do not have a AAA background or previously launched projects, it's going to be very, very tough. You might spend an entire year doing it and your money traveling to GDC, Gamescom, all these events. Of course, we have Indie Game Business, which is free and digital, so that's great. Thank you, Jay Powell, for starting that. Um, but yeah, please try to develop something first. Now, friends and family, I want to make something, <laughs> the, the third line in this slide, always sign contracts whether it's your mom or your best friend make sure you've always signed something this is a good way to get started you can either you know have them invest into equity or you can take a loan or like a very tiny amount of money to get to that next step and it's a good way to start a business i mean this is like any industry right not just video games if some of your friends and family have some money that they're willing to put into your dream then you know do it right key thing is don't sell too much equity so as a rule of thumb, any fundraise at any stage in the earlier ones, don't sell more than 15%. And I would even say that um, friends and family and angels, the first round you make should be, should be between five and 10%. But yeah, friends and family don't hesitate to reach out just like in any industry. Angel and business networks, you're probably like, okay, well, where do I find angels? Well, LinkedIn, Google. There are tons of angels in this industry. You can reach out to studios that have been acquired, you know, founders that have exited and talk openly about looking for investments. You can announce it. Many, many things you can do. And it's a great way to get started as well. Angels usually invest tickets between 10, 50, 100K in the video game industry on the indie side. So that's a great way also to bring yourself to a demo or a vertical slice. So with GTR, we have our own angel group, actually, which there is no business model. We just every now and then we present companies to them and we usually raise between 100 and 300K in those angel rounds. And that money is used to bring the game to a vertical slice or like a fully ready uh, uh, pitch uh, where we can actually take them to the next step. So either going to a publisher or raising money from a VC or so forth. So, yeah. Keep that in mind. Uh, and again, usually this is before the vertical slice, but of course it could happen at a later stage. So what are we looking for? I've said some of this already, but what are some of the you know key things that you're gonna need to do and think about before you approach a, an investor and a publisher? Number one, skill set diversity. Like I mentioned, having co-founders, having teammates that can actually help you in many different parts of the game. So you have complementary skill sets is very important. Marketing, of course, if you're pitching a publisher, we understand if you do not have marketing cap capabilities or live ops capabilities internally, that's something that can come later. Usually I, I think of it in this way, right? Um, why I mentioned 
earlier in the presentation that business development can be outsourced is there are a couple of jobs that are irreplaceable when you're making your vertical slice, right? Business development is not one of them. Having a full-time BD with a full-time salary when you're making a game and it's not ready for a publisher or an investor is not very good, right? Having a full-time marketing person that is doing all this stuff is not going to help you until you have something to show. So this is usually something that founders do part-time, right? Like all like 90% of our investments or even 95 is of course the CEO doing BD and marketing part-time themselves. And you know, we understand that. So keep that in mind that it's okay you don't have these people uh, internally when you're pitching. It's fine. You know, just make sure you're very clear in your pitch deck about what you're actually looking for and what kind of help you need. If you have a proven track record, of course, this is super important and helpful. Uh, you don't need to have had one, but it definitely helps. I mean, you guys all know this. If you worked for Ubisoft and all these different companies, I'm sure you read these articles in Pocket Gamer and stuff like that where, you know, somebody just raced, raced on a paper pitch $20 million. Well, the chances of you doing that as an indie developer is extremely low, as I mentioned. So if you don't have a track record, it's okay. There are people like us who are dumb enough to, you know, put money in talent, amazing talent like yourself, you know, and taking all that risk. And, you know, there are more companies like Global Top Round that are willing to take that risk early. So, of course, we are the primary bigger risk takers. Um, and, you know, that, that's our business model, right? We want to support great creative talent, great people, and they're a surprise to that, you know, coming in that early. Um, so for us, it's okay not having a track record and for other investors and publishers as well, but having it, of course, helps. Now, financial responsibility and planning is super important. You know, asking for too little money is a red flag. Asking for too much money is a red flag. You got to find somewhere in the middle, you know, don't lower your salaries too much. We want you guys to have good mental health. We want you to, you know, be able to buy groceries, take care of your families. We don't want you to starve. So when we get actually here in Malaysia, I've had five pitches today where, you know, I told them that you're asking for too little money. You know, I, I know the average salary in Malaysia. And of course, it's smaller than uh, the Western market right now. Um, but this was way too little. You know, this was below average. And like this was entry level out of high school into video game industry. And they were like, yeah, well, we, you know, we're scared of asking for too much money. We might not get signed. Well, it's a bigger red flag to ask for too little. If you guys aren't happy then you know this game is never going to get made and it's not going to be made in a in a good way and of course proper planning is tough if you've never run a business before it might be tough on you but make sure you have a proper pnl a spreadsheet how many team members do you have right now how many are you going to be hiring what do each person cost including all the social security taxes insurance etc how many workstations do you need put that all in a spreadsheet it doesn't need to be fancy just needs to be clear and of course, if you're a mid to late stage developer, I'm also expecting to see PNL planning. So what happens if you don't sign a publishing deal six months from now? Are you just gonna shut down? I assume you're gonna look for work for hire or something else to stay alive. So for investors, it's even more important about how you actually plan your finances for the whole company. For a publisher, of course, more important initially on how you're gonna be spending your money on the game. And always have some buffer. So as a general uh, rule of thumb, three months post-launch, that's the amount of money you should be asking from a publisher. And in that three months post-launch, you also have a buffer within your budget. Every publisher and investor knows you have a, a buffer. It's okay, five to 20%, depending on the project size, the studio, the timeline, etc. 
important to have. An additional plus, clear vision and USP. I mentioned earlier something that is neither a vision or a USP in a way, but it's doing something better than somebody else. You don't always need to reinvent the wheel. You don't need to come up with 10 new mechanics that nobody's ever heard of. You just need to make a good game that people can, can and will enjoy. And sometimes that's fine with reinventing, which is why, of course, a lot of people are making extraction games right now. They want to take over that market and make them better because there is a lot of room for improvement. So if you have a genre or a type of game that you can do that with, go ahead. doesn't need to be super unique, just better, right? So as long as we know that, you do have a clear vision. You know that you're not super unique, but you can make something better than your competitors. Scalability and market potential. Of course, as an investor, the more, you know, the, the more market potential there is, the easier from, for us to give you money and same for other investors. But as a key, again, rule of thumb, publishers are looking for a bare minimum of three times their ROI. And three times their ROI is not, you know, if you're asking for 100K and they make 300K that they're happy, remember, they have salaries, they have expenses, they have a bunch of other things going on, right? So it's more like a three to four X, depending on the budget and the publisher that you're working with. So it does need to have potential. Sometimes we get pitches where they're like asking for $800,000 and then their expected copy sold is 1.5. That's just not gonna work, right? Because the publisher first has to probably recoup those $800,000, pay all their salaries, and then of course, everybody has to make money you and them and if that is the kind of vision or, or like potential that you have it's just not a good case right because if that's the best case scenario for you which is barely any money for either of you that's just not worth the risk so make sure you have that you know again right genre right game that can actually make some money for you and your partners i'm going to breeze through this very quickly i know i have about 45 50 minutes and I can sometimes talk too much. So let's just briefly talk about <clears throat> components of a video game pitch deck. So by the way, there are tons of free templates out there. There's the Raw Fury template and etc. I'm sure you've heard this in many other pitch, uh, pitch sessions. So go out there, Google it. There are tons of, uh, tons of pitch deck templates if you don't know how to get started. But the key kind of slides that you need to have in here is of course the introduction slide, your game and your team, your expertise, your past successes. Even if you haven't been in gaming before, if you worked in tech the last five years, what did you do? What kind of apps did you launch? How many users did they have? You know, Anything to kind of show us your experience in the industry. Once again, if you have none, it's okay to some people. Your concept and your vision, You know, description, the genre, the USPs, what you're doing better, super important. Target audience and market research is a golden slide if you do it correctly. If you upload a new zoo slide with $280 billion market, you have not done your job correctly. It's not how it works. Remember, you're pitching people who do video games for a living. We know how big the market is. We wanna know how big your market is. And then of course, your gameplay and your features, your core mechanics, etc. As a key rule of thumb, I need to stop saying that word. I normally don't, is 10 to 12 slides. That is all you're looking for. Uh, because remember, you have 30 minutes most of the time at Me to Match or other business platforms. And sometimes you guys do this mistake where you're talking for too long. You should be talking through the slides for maximum 10, well, okay, 10 to 15 minutes. 10 is the golden nugget, 15 is okay. 
but we don't want to sit through that whole meeting with you just walking through the slides. We want to ask about you. You know, why are you making this game? Like, we, we don't just want to hear you say it. We want to ask you questions based on what you're showing us. We want to have a discussion. If we end up signing you, we're going to have tons of discussions. So 10, 15 minutes of you pitching your deck, 10 minutes of discussion, and then, of course, us introducing ourselves as well. We hope you've done your homework and you know who you're pitching. But if you haven't, again, let us kind of talk. So... We also want a tiny break to go to the next meeting, right? So you have like 25, 27 minutes in your entire pitch. So don't talk too long, leave time for discussion. Monetization strategy, premium, freemium, whatever you're doing, let us know. If you have a marketing and a UA campaign strategy, let us know, that's of course a bonus. If you don't, include that in your ask that you need help with marketing, PR, QA, localization, etc. Your development timeline is super important. If you've had previous games, Show us where you started, show us where you are now, and where you're going to be ending up. And a very important number here, which you can put on any slide, really, probably the last three, but how much have you spent on the current demo you are presenting to us? So we can kind of judge it based on, okay, if I give you $200,000, this is what I can expect. If I give you fifty, dollars this is what I can expect, right? So it's very important to see how much money you put in until now. And sweat equity counts. Your time is money. If you haven't put in cash, it's okay. Let us know. Your financial projections. So again, using that target audience and market research, using comparables and benchmarks, and adding that in on your expected expectations. If you don't understand it too well, again, it's okay. We're all going to do our own P&Ls. Both investors and publishers are going to do this. But again, if you can save us some time or, or you know, give us a better idea of where to start, this is a great slide to have. And always ask what you want and what you need. Tell us what you want and what you need. We can't guess, you know, we need to know exactly. If you have your own dev kits, put it in. If you don't, put it in. If you want to port yourself and you don't have dev kits, tell them you need them to help you get them and so forth. So all of this turns into your ammunition in your negotiation, right? Having your pitch, having your background, your roadmap and all these different things. But there are a couple of extra spicy slides you could add in or things that will kind of help you out. Number one, having a tier list internally. Of course, don't tell the publishers this, but internally, when you go to a game event and you've done your research on who you're going to be meeting, have three tiers. Tier one is the publishers you absolutely want to work with or the investors or the agency. Make custom slides. I usually say five. So, you know, imagine you put on your first slide, Raw Fury, right? The raw fury people will instantly be like, oh, okay, you know, these guys know what they're doing. They're here to pitch me. This means I need to pay extra attention. Of course, you don't have time to make 30 different pitch decks. So that's why I say five. And then you have your generic pitch deck, which is for oral presentation. And then you have another one for digital sending, right? So that there's actually something we can read, which is in PDF. We, we're not going to download a 500 megabyte PowerPoint. We would like a PDF. The PowerPoint comes later once you've gotten our interest. And then you have your tier three, which could be your test market. So if you're not sure about your concept, your budget, you know, and everything, just toss out a cold email to a couple of tier three publishers that you weren't targeting anyway, get their feedback and, you know, be honest, right? Be like, hey, you know, I would like your feedback. I'm not sure if this is for you. Of course, I'm not telling you to lie or like use people. I'm saying that you're not sure that these guys are a fit. So why not ask them, 
right? They're looking for games, you're looking for a partner. It's a great way to kind of get started if you're uncertain if you're ready for the so-called tier one and tier twos. So try to do that, and then you have that partner why they should work with you. If you've done play tests, if you have a community, if you have demographic data, any sort of supporting data, toss that in, that's an extra slide. I'd, I'd love like five slides on data, but of course that's not how it works. And for an investor in particular, the future. Are you gonna be an IP company? Are you gonna make multiple different IPs and titles? I would like to know almost right away, right? This is important to me. You can add it in your roadmap slide or you can make an extra one specifically for investors on what you're planning to do. Now, if it's a publisher, are you gonna make DLCs? And if so, how much does a DLC cost? If you know that already, great. If you have a plan on it already, great, right? So these are some extra nuggets that you can kind of add in to make it better. We wanna know the next steps. So going back to a cap table, you have all of these different things. So let's talk about investors, right? Your cap table. This is an ideal looking company. And this is a real example, by the way, of how a company can look. And I put Global Topper on here because this is actually an investment that we did. So as you can see here, we have the main founder who owns 80%. He gave his co-founder 15% and he gave uh, another co-founder uh, 5%. So this is a nice looking cap table, you know? The first founder put in a ton of cash, has spent a lot of time before meeting his co-founder. And then that co-founder came on board. He wanted to give him incentives and you know, build him up. As I mentioned, finding that business partner. And because of him finding this business partner, he was able to set up an office in a different country. And he's now 50 plus strong, which is absolutely, you know, amazing. And then of course, saving some shares for your employees is very important. We then did an angel round. Um, and you can see here that Global Top Round came in alongside a couple of other investors. And then we did another, you know, uh, kind of pre-seed round later down the line uh, where we, you know, we haven't really put in the numbers here. So as you can see, the shares are the same because I can't share all the different numbers. But the point is, you can see there at the end, the founders are still retaining majority. So if you're, if we're an investor, we would like the founders to control the company as long as possible, right? If we're a pre-seed angel, etc., we don't want, want you to have to do all these documents for your board and do all these you know, long-term documentation because there's simply not enough time. You gotta make your game. So if you're selling 10, 15% per round, hopefully until Series B, you and your founders still have 51% of the company. Don't sell yourself too short. I mentioned it earlier in the presentation. It's better to raise less in the beginning, put in a bit more sweat equity, put in a bit more of your savings, do another part-time job so you get better terms so that you can raise a lot of money and keep scaling without losing control of your company. When you have a board of directors, when you've taken in VC money, it's no longer just your business. There are, there are contracts in place, you know, you are liable for a lot of things. So keep that in mind before you dig in. This is a good story of a company. And of course, now they are raising their seed round, which is great. And after the seed round, they're still gonna be owning majority. So what are the different types of financing? Number two, this is actually the last slide before we put in like a little bit of a kicker in the end. Publishers, micro VCs, venture capital and acquisition. So publishers, we generally say that we always, well, not always, we like when our studios work with a publisher for their first game. Why? Number one, publishers usually, some of them do, do not buy equity, which means that they can make their first game without selling a portion of their company. 
and the publisher will just give them money based on milestones and over time they'll get their first game launched they'll learn from the publisher how to do marketing how to do pr how to do submissions to platforms they'll get new connections they'll work with an external producer they'll learn how to properly present planning to future partners because if they don't deliver their milestones they don't get paid so it's a great way for a new fresh business to kind of get started by basically working with a publisher for your first game and as I mentioned, especially if you're indie and you don't have a lot of budget, you can't afford to hire a full-time BD marketing, etc. The publisher can help you do these different types of things. Hire a lawyer. I know there's a lot of like horror stories out there and Reddit posts, but the reality is if you have good advisors and friends, you will be fine. There are a lot of good publishers out there as well. Do your research. Now, once you're past that or before, depending on if you self-publish or you use a publisher, you can reach out to micro VCs and family offices. These rounds are normally 200K to 1 million per ticket per office, and you can find them basically on LinkedIn. Uh, you can find them on Google as well. Not a lot of family offices actually invest into gaming companies directly. They usually invest into the VCs and into the funds, but some of them do invest directly. Now, if you're an indie developer, the chances of you talking and convincing a family office is quite low. But there are family office maybe that your friends and family knows that could potentially support you locally. Uh, they usually also exit in later rounds before the acquisition, depending on the, on the investor. And of course, make sure you build a pipeline that I showed you on the previous cap table, right? So that you don't lose too much. Finally, when you're ready for VC Series A and having a board, we're looking at you know, two, five, $10 million races when you have a track record and when you wanna scale. There are tons of VCs out there, of course, this presentation today we don't have time to dig super deep so we're gonna basically stop right here so hopefully you've now kind of understood the different types of investments depending on the stage that you're in okay so the very early up until here happy to answer questions on these two things so this thing here I kind of added very very recently and I'm gonna keep it brief because I'm running over time here the market right now is not good it is not a good market to hire, uh, sorry, to raise money. It's not a good market to find a publisher. People are signing slower. They're taking less risk. It's very, very, very tough. And right now, cash is king. If you're watching this and you have three to six months runway left and you're just pitching, hoping for a deal, please stop. Well, please continue, but please start planning backup plans. There is nothing worse than sitting there and you, maybe you have some term sheets, maybe you have some publishers and you're running out of money and then, oh, something happens in the economy. Look at Embracer, what happened there, right? All of a sudden, they were forced to shut down studios. They were forced to cancel publishing deals, etc. Out of the blue. Could anybody have guessed that? Probably not because we're not insiders, right? But all of a sudden, they went from one of Sweden's most valuable companies until their stock dropped a lot, right? So... You never know. You gotta plan for your cash flow. It's okay if you take a work for hire deal and when you're about to sign a publishing deal or an investment deal, you tell them, hey, sorry, I can't work on the game for another three months because I took a work for hire deal to save, save myself some cash and keep the company alive. That is a benefit, not a negative thing. But either way, work for hire is of course a word that none of you wants to do. Everybody wants to make their own games, but work for hire is a great way to stay alive. Now there's another problem here because we're in a down economy. Everyone wants to do work for hire. Everybody wants to do work for hire because they have to. 
which means you're competing against AAA studios, AAA, AA, whatever fancy words you want to use. Everybody wants to do work for hire right now. So what should you consider? Consider number one, if you do have a track record, if you have launched games before, reached out to your previous publisher. Hey, do you need some help with work for hire? Is there anything I can do to you know help you out? If you have investors, ask them, is there anybody that you can connect us to? Is there anything outside of gaming, maybe like a personal friend you have that needs any websites, you know, whatever it is important. And the last two points here, outside gaming. Like I said, right now, everyone wants to do work for hire. So you're competing with too many people. So right now, if I was you, I'd be looking at IT. I'd be looking at government deals. I'd be looking at SAS companies, you know, look outside of gaming to basically build websites, build programs, apps, etc because that's a good way to get paid. Or of course, Web3 still has a lot of money. I'm sure they'll be happy for you, you know, Web2 developers to come in and help them build their games. So that's also a great way to kind of get started. So you just got to think about this. And you know, you could be like, oh, well, I don't agree with you, Pontus. Well, you know, it's the facts, right? Look at this. So this is a report, by the way, from Convoy Ventures. It's a free newsletter. I highly recommend you subscribe to them. It's a great way to stay up to date about what's going on in the market. And look in Q421 versus this year in Q2. You can see that late stage funding is almost, well, nil. Growth stage funding is still, you know, kind of staying alive. And early stage funding is just going down slowly. But of course, it's still there. But you know, this is a you know ridiculous chart to look at, right? Look at how much money was raised in the last couple of years, and now we're over here having very big issues. This is the reality, right? And I don't see this changing anytime soon. It might change tomorrow, and I can be wrong, but really nobody has any idea. I don't have like a crystal ball here where I can say tomorrow is gonna be better. So what I'm trying to tell you with this to finish off the session is plan for the worst. The amount of deals you can see here, 600 deals in 2022. So far in 2023, 194. Let's see if the end of the year picks up. You know, who knows? Maybe, again, I'm wrong and we get a lot of deals. But size-wise, we've gone down significantly, right? Uh, here is the amount of venture deals in Q2. So you can see here that Asia is actually a very good market right now. A lot of deals are happening over here. And NA and Europe are kind of sitting there in the even stages. And uh, yeah, this is basically the you know presentation for today. I uh, just wanted to show you a couple of slides from Convoy's report because I think it's important that you go out, you review and you read this yourself uh, because it's very insightful to see what has actually been happening. And please, you know, take care of your cash flow. Think about yourself, think about your company and stay alive when we're in a market like we currently are. And yeah, like I said, uh, we're Global Top Round. I'm Plantis Mahler. Please reach out to scouting at globaltopround.com if you'd like to pitch us your game. Uh, we are open from anything from indie up until 30, 50 million dollar games when it comes to helping you out. So always happy. You can also add me on LinkedIn. You know, my name is right here. And yeah, I'm happy to take any questions. I'll be calling in from my phone. So hopefully the connection is not too poor. Thank you very much. All right, that was good. Okay, so for you people that are trying to get questions in there, join the Discord. It's discord.gg slash Indie Game Business. I also posted this link in there um, that's up there. 
but go into the Discord. It's called the Post Session Chat. I'll type it out in here so you know what it is. Post Session. I don't know why some people find it. Some people don't. But the chat is going off right now. So, yeah, it's Post Session Chat. And before we get out of here, thank you so much, Tripwire Presents, for sponsoring us. Also, make sure that, you know, like I said, here's the link to our Discord. Discord.gg slash Indie Game Business. We've got some free online classes, indiegamebusiness.teachable.com, and all of our links, link, link tree slash indie game business. Oh, yeah. Get some uh, indie, indie game business merch. Oh, you can't see it. Indie game business merch, streamlabs.com slash indie game business merch. And we've got a great talk coming up next. So we will see you in just a, just a minute. Thanks for listening to Indie Game Business. You can learn more about the show and our online business networking events at indiegame.business.